Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, you're you're churning out those free balling podcasts, and uh, I appreciate you for joining me on uh, the Buff Stampede Radio. No problem. Any excuse I can to talk about CU, you know I'm there. Well, obviously, some big news has come out here in in recent days. Drew Wilson, the head strength and conditioning coach, is out. Tyson Summers, the defensive coordinator and inside linebackers coach, is out. It, it's hard to go from the Dan Hawkins era and the Mike McIntyre era where they seem to hold on to these assistants longer than they should have, you know. And now we go to the Carl Durrell era where it's a little bit more cutthroat, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I think the my honestly, my first initial response to this was, wow, Carl Durrell must feel really safe. That was honestly my initial response was that he he definitely isn't afraid he's going to lose his job anytime soon. Um, there are positives and negatives, obviously, associated with that. Like you have to be comfortable to make the decisions you think need to be made. But also at some point you're going to need some continuity and you can't just blame everyone else if things aren't going perfect. Right. So there's a balance there. We'll have to see where it is. You know, I, I my initial reaction was my initial reaction. But of course, <laughs> he's going to have time to prove out that this was a worthy decision. I mean, it obviously depends on who he gets. And then even then it doesn't really matter. I mean, it doesn't matter what I say about who he gets. He has to, if he comes in here and does a good job, then he comes in here and does a good job. So there's still an opportunity for him to, you know, to prove that this was the right choice. I hope we get to a point where we stop bringing up, the tough spot that Carl Durrell was brought into because we've got to move past that at some point, but it should be brought up the fact that, Hey, he comes in mid February, he's putting together his staff. He probably felt like he had to maintain that continuity last year. And it is kind of a head coach's prerogative to, to bring in his own guys. Right. And he probably didn't feel like he could have done that last year. Right. I mean, he definitely didn't have an opportunity to do that last year. Um, it, it is an opportunity to bring in your own guys for sure. I just think what's tough here is that just my personal opinion, right. But I think Tyson Summers did a pretty good job here, um, with in some cases, limited personnel, quite frankly, you know, people will say, Oh, he was average. He was average. Well, yeah, that's a lot better than what we were previous to him being there. So, you know, is he a top 10 defensive coordinator in the country? No, probably not. Um, but I thought, you know, when you're at Colorado, you can't take three steps at once. You got to take one step at a time. And I thought he was getting us in the right direction in regards to what we were doing with our defense. So just in general, um, I was surprised definitely by both decisions, you know, um, going back to the strength coach, right? I mean, you're coming off of the first year that I can remember in recent memory. We dominated the last scrimmage period in almost all of our games. Um, so to, to get rid of the guy that, is most directly responsible for that is definitely surprising. Hopefully we'll get more color on both of these changes in terms of, was it just hundred percent that Carl Durrell wanted to bring in his own guys at both of those spots, but it does make me wonder how much the Texas Valero El mobile performance played into this, right? Because like you said, Colorado dominated the line of scrimmage for much of the season, but it really showed itself to, to how far they have to go in that sense in the Alamo Bowl. And then, you know, Texas brings in their backup quarterback and they're shredding up Colorado in the second half. Do you think 
if Colorado shows better in the Alamo Bowl that we're even talking about Drew Wilson and Tyson Summers being out? I, it, you know, I would be guessing. I mean, obviously, the better we play there, the least, the less likely it is, right? Of course. Um, I would say though, if Carl Durrell was shocked by that result, that's a problem for me. Like, I understand you want to go and expecting to win, but anyone who watches is looking at the talent on those two rosters. It's very obvious that they have a lot more talent and they are a lot bigger and faster than we are. That shouldn't have been a surprise. So yes, obviously you want to be more competitive in that game. And we didn't show out as well. I don't think we played as well as we could have for sure. But if you're sitting there and all of a sudden you're shocked that Texas has bigger and stronger guys than us, you're not very aware of the situation. If Chris Wilson is elevated to defensive coordinator, will you take a wait-and-see approach, or will you push the panic button? I would take a wait-and-see approach. Um, I mean, the one time he had done it previously, he was fine, fine in the role. I mean, still, it would be, listen, do I think it's worth it getting rid of Tyson Summers just to keep Chris Wilson? I mean, you could make arguments for both. My initial reaction is probably not, but he's going to have a chance to prove it out for sure. Like, there's no doubt. It depends on who you get to replace Chris Wilson, obviously, because he's going to be in an elevated role. It depends on who you get to take on inside linebackers. And, of course, you're going to have to wait and see how it goes. Like, But my initial reaction to that would be that's probably a move that I don't love. With Drew Wilson, there is an importance with the head coach and strength coach to be 100% on the same page. This is the guy that's going to be around the players more than any other coach on the staff. Carl Durrell, having his guy, the guy that he feels like he can trust 100%, is important, but he's got to find the, find somebody that can connect with these players because we've seen with Dave Foreman and, and Jeff Pittman, when they can't, that, that ends up being a real bad deal pretty quick. Yeah, for sure. And that's my biggest concern, honestly. Like, I understand wanting to get your own guys, but it is hard. No one spends more time with the players than the strength coach. And there's no doubt that these players liked Drew Wilson. No doubt. So I understand that you want to get your own guy and that maybe 100% wasn't synergistic there. But you also have to keep in mind that if the players don't love your strength coach, it's not going to work out. Period. Like, it doesn't matter if you're on the same page with the strength coach. If the players don't like the guy, guess what? They're not going to get better where it matters. Yeah. What were your thoughts on Drew Wilson? It seemed like he got better over time. Um, but it, it yeah. comes down it comes down to recruiting more than it does. You know, and this is something that Drew Wilson has said. Hey, you hand me a 300-pounder that can move. I can mold him into something pretty special. But when he was getting some of the guys McIntyre was recruiting there for a while, you know, you can't turn Aaron Hagler into a 300 pounder that can move if he can't be that guy. Right. hundred percent. That's true. I mean, you obviously have to get the right guys in the program first. Um, and that's not just physically. It's also mentally as well. I mean, it takes a, a certain type of player not everyone's going to walk into the weight room and become a beast. You know, you got to get the right guys, the guys who work hard. I thought Drew Wilson did a good job, frankly. I mean, we got better on the lines the last couple of years, culminating with this year where we were physically dominant on both lines. To me, that says the strength coach is doing something right. Um, so I think the timing of the whole deal, again, I understand that he's going to keep everyone on staff because he showed up late, uh, but we had a good year. And uh, specifically in the two places where we have now had departures. So it's definitely, I'm not going to lie. It's definitely surprising. 
would you rather have it be this way than, like I said at the top, you know, coach that could potentially keep guys around maybe a little bit too long, like a McIntyre? I don't think we could say anything definitive about John Embry or uh, Mel Tucker in that regard because they were out of here so quickly. But both Dan Hawkins and Mike McIntyre seem to have that quality where they were willing to, to keep guys on uh, when, when they re- really didn't seem like they were pulling their own weight. You would be choosing between two wrong options. Frankly, I prefer the coach that keeps the guys around for the proper amount of time. You know, I don't think there's really a benefit to giving up on guys too early. Um, And I definitely don't think there's a benefit to keeping guys around that aren't getting the job done. And I would say right now he's making a different kind of mistake, but it's still a mistake in my opinion. Now that doesn't mean he can't come in and get someone better. Well, we'll have to see how that goes. But if you were to ask me, do both of these guys deserve another year? I would have said yes. Well, we had a podcast earlier this week and, and shared some of our thoughts on the 2020 season. Tyler, I wanted to get your just post-2020 impressions, just your overall thoughts on, on what you saw from year one of the Carl Durrell era. Yeah, I mean, you have to be satisfied with the results. I think anyone would have taken four and two to start the year for sure. Um, got into a pretty substantial bowl game, obviously in a matchup that didn't really favor us. There's a lot of COVID issues associated with that, but that was to be expected for the season. Um, you know, it always leaves a sour taste in your mouth when you end the season as poorly as we did. Um, it doesn't matter if you're two and six or four and oh, you don't want to get smacked in your last two games. And unfortunately, this program has done that. <laughs> like clockwork for as long as I can remember. So I think that's the next step is you, you want to go into an off season at some point feeling confident. And unfortunately we did that last off season and we saw how it went, right? I mean, obviously things didn't go well after that. So we have to continue to fight that and find a way, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, no, certainly I didn't predict us to go above 500, four and two. Um, Obviously, you know, there was, you know, Sam Neuer had his moments, right? He was certainly a lot better than I would have expected him to be. The early part of the season especially was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to take for granted watching this team win more games than they lose because it hasn't happened often. Yeah, you talked about PTSD as a CU fan, especially late in the season. Kind of alluded to it there again. I took a lot of flack for picking Texas in the Alamo Bowl. But, I mean, at some point you got you got to show me at the end of a season before I'm going to change my tune. And I'm sorry if that is degrading guys that are on the current team, but it is what it is. It's been a really long time, a really tough stretch here. It's only degrading if you prove me wrong. Right. I mean, you think I want to predict us to lose by 21 in our bowl game. I certainly do not. I don't know what you want me to tell you beyond that. Yeah. I'm just giving you my honest feel for the situation. Now, you know, did we get put in a rough situation? Sure. Should we have been playing Texas in a bowl game based on how both of our seasons went? No, of course not. But, you know, when half the Pac-12 decides not to play in bowl games, it is what it is. You got to go out there and fight anyways. Um, You know, know, if we went and played someone else, I think we obviously would have had a chance to win a bowl game. But that's just not how it played out. And, you know, you wanted to play the season and you wanted to go out there and play the best. So we did what we did. And, uh, you know, we're not the only team to get smacked in a bowl game. So ultimately it's not the end of the world, but it does definitely show that there's a long ways to go. And, and I think we knew that, right? Yeah. 
Let's predict the CU 2020 award winners. I think they're going to do this pretty soon. The players are coming back on campus. We're recording this on Wednesday. It sounds like all the players are going to be back on campus Thursday. Maybe a little bit of a quarantine period there, but then at some point they'll get to do these awards. Uh, some easy answers here, Tyler. Some that are a little bit more challenging. Uh, <laughs> let's let's start at the top with the MVP. I think this one's pretty pretty obvious. I don't know if it is. I have Nate Landman. Me too. Because yeah. To, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think some probably would say Jarek as well. Um, to me, it's Landman, and really, there's no reason other than as soon as you went off the field, you saw what happened. So obviously, he's the most important player on this team, most valuable to his team. Outstanding offensive player, obviously, Jarek Broussard, no question there. What, what can he still improve on? A little bit of explosiveness when he gets in the open field, kind of that being able to separate from guys? Right. Yeah, I mean, when you get in the open open field, you don't want to get caught, right? I mean, we talk about um, – I actually held it against the staff, which in hindsight maybe I shouldn't have. Like, he only had touchdowns in two games. Um, but when you break into the open space and you get caught three or four times from behind – that matters too. So I know he said he wasn't 100% healthy coming off ACL. We'll see if he can bounce back and get that extra gear, kind of like we saw Phil Lindsay eventually got that extra gear when he felt more and more healthy as time went on in his career. So I think, you know, Jarek is obviously a phenomenal player. There's not much to complain about. But, yeah, that top-end speed is the next step for him. For outstanding defensive player, I went away from Landman with my prediction here just because – if Landman wins MVP, I, a lot of times they've gone with somebody else for this. And if you're going to go with somebody else, it's got to be Carson Wells, right? For sure. That I mean, yeah, if you were going to go with someone else, that's definitely the most deserving. Uh, I did go with Landman because, I mean, he's clearly our best defensive player. Um, but, yeah, if they do decide to reward other guys, which I understand as well, yeah, Carson Wells has got to be your other option. And I feel like you almost have to overcompensate for the fact that he didn't get voted as a first or second team all conference guy by the coaches, right? Yeah, he deserves a couple extra awards for that. Yeah. We've loved Carson since we saw him at that Friday Night Lights camp, and it's cool to see him finally reach this level of play. Last year, we were kind of scratching our head, and then you find out after the fact that it was a foot injury he was dealing with all year. I mean, right. when he's healthy, he's he's top level. Yeah, I mean, we there was – I think I said multiple times on Twitter last year, like, there's something not right with Carson Wells. Like, the way that he's playing, there's something not something not fully there. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember we made note of him after that camp, and he reached out to me, whether it was DM or just straight up hit me up on Twitter. I don't recall just saying thanks for the recognition. And here we are, whatever it is, four or five years later, and he's still balling. And doing well in the classroom as well. He had a ton of credits that he had to take through, through all this. So uh, – and it's awesome to see him back. I, I know there's been some NFL chatter with him, and I, and I want him to prove me wrong. I don't know if he quite has the the body type to to be, you know, to excel at that level. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of like he's he's probably best suited as a three four backer, if I had to guess. But he's not. His coverage skills need work. You know, he's he's fast north and south. Um, East and West, he's got a little bit to prove, I think. I would think as a special teams player, though, he could definitely make a roster and have an impact. So we'll have to see. I mean, I think there's definitely a chance for him. But I'm glad he's coming back because he does have more to prove. The Bill McCartney Award goes for special teams achievement. Who do you have here? I'm Jalen Jackson. Me too. Um, yep. A guy who's worked hard in this program. Uh fought through a lot of injuries 
And it's nice to see him make a significant impact somewhere on the field. A guy who deserves probably a few more touches, but it, you probably won't get them just based on who's in front of him. So starring in his role. Lee Willard award goes to the outstanding freshman couple guys to choose from here. Uh, who, who did you go with? I have Christian Gonzalez. Me too. Yep. Um, and really it's as simple as he was a starter for me. I mean, there's a couple of guys who really, I, I feel great about a couple of freshmen moving forward, but to me, he, he was out there grinding away the whole entire season in that starter role. And, uh, you know, had some struggles, I thought, but you look back at what Jimmy Smith was doing and Jaleel Brown was doing and Kenneth Crawley, especially was doing as freshmen playing. Uh, it wasn't very good. Uh, and those guys, it all worked out just fine for them. So I, I think he has a really bright future. And I thought by the end of the season, he was playing really well. And he was always right there. It just came, it came down to instincts of, okay, when I see the receiver do this, I've got to react this way. Otherwise, it's going to be a, a pass interference call. And I thought you saw quite a bit of improvement from him as the season went along. And you saw a team stop trying to test him like they were early in the season as the season went along. Yeah, they definitely like spent a lot more time in the middle of the field on the safeties, for sure. My expectations are for with him is that he's got two more years in Boulder, and I expect him to be a guy that's going to probably go to the NFL after he plays three years at CU. It certainly feels like that's the most likely scenario for him right now, yeah. Because, I mean, he it's not just how talented he is from a college level. He also has an NFL frame. Like, there are two sides to the equation, right, if you want yeah. to go to the next level. And he's got both. Does he have more upside, you think, than Isaiah Oliver did at this no. stage? No? Okay. I don't. I don't. I'm, listen, I was the biggest Isaiah Oliver stand there ever was in CU history. I saw him on the field for like four seconds and turned to you and I was like, that dude's a first-round pick. So, no. But that doesn't mean he's not great because I think he is. All right. Most improved award for offense. I think, you know, you could go Broussard here, but maybe they try to even out the love a little bit. And I had Frank Phillip written down. I like that you're evening out the love for everybody. I had Jarek Broussard. Um, see, I, I made fun of the Pac-12 for giving Jarek Broussard the most improved player of the year because he had never played before. But when you're in the program, I think you can get away with it because you okay. do know that obviously he has improved quite a bit. You've seen his practice time and how he's gotten on the field. Um, so I do have Jarek. Philip, maybe Casey Roddick would be a candidate here as well. I thought yeah. he got quite a bit better. Yeah, the line in general, I think you could make an argument for a lot of those guys. Most improved defensive player. Who, who do you have there? I've, I've got a, a head and shoulders winner here. But I want to hear Mekhi who Blackman. you have. You do? Okay. I have Makai okay. Blackman. Yeah. Um, I think there's a couple of different arguments here for sure. Um, but yeah, I love Makai. I thought, especially in terms of how I felt about him, because he, he got a lot of hype last year. And quite frankly, he busted out. He was injured. He wasn't very good. Um, this year, I thought he was phenomenal. In fact, I would say that along with Carson Wells, he got screwed the most by the Pac-12 awards. Um, he deserved more recognition. I thought he was pretty much locked down the entire year, and I loved what he did. So, yeah, he definitely got this one for me. It's it's a good pick, but I had heard Mikai Blackman was doing so well during camp before the 2019 season and got hurt. So I kind of had reasonable expectations for what he could do, but Isaiah Lewis was a guy that I had cut and kind of written off. And so that's why I picked him for my most improved because, frankly, I thought if he was on the field, you would be worried <laughs> – and then there were times this this past season when he wasn't on the field and you're going, why is he not out there? That, so that's quite the jump that he made. 
For sure. Absolutely. He was our best safety. Um, yeah, I just think he's slowly improved over time. I mean, he's, he's a great pick too. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and argue against it. I think either one you could make a clear case for. Most improved award for special teams is a little bit more challenging. No idea. I don't know. As the season went along, I thought, I thought Torn Pittman, if you're going to take from like the beginning of the year to the end, obviously he's a true freshman. So you're not basing that on what he did previously, but he ended up leading the team in special teams points. So I guess I would go with him. Yeah, for sure. How about Evan Price? Uh, no, he missed that, that kick in the, the Alamo <laughs> Bowl. So he's out. Okay. Offensive scout player of the year. This is a little bit challenging as well. I did see Jaylee Stack's name come up a few times as weekly scout award winner. So I would just go with yeah. him by default. The only guy that I can think of that I heard mentioned in regard to this was Carson Lee. So that's my guy. Okay. Defensive scout player of the year. I had Jaden Simon again. It was just he won a few of those awards throughout the year. Yeah. Again, like I guess maybe I need to pay more attention because I don't really know. Um, in terms of guys that I'm like looking forward to see play more, I'll take probably like Marvin Ham. How about that? Okay. It sounded like he was going to be part of the mix in the Alamo Bowl, but then uh, had a COVID issue. So that was unfortunate. It would have been nice to see him finally get out there for a few snaps. Special team scout player of the year. This is why everybody tunes in to Buff Sandy yes. Radio. <laughs> Pick a walk on uh, any walk on. Alex Smith. A, a receiver. Go. The first and last time that Alex Smith will get a, a shout out on this podcast. No offense, but uh, it is what it is. How do you know? <laughs> Scotty McKnight Jr. I, I just know, Tyler. I just know. <laughs> <laughs> Derek Singleton Award goes to spirit slash dedication slash enthusiasm. What are you thinking here? I have Sam Neuer. Me too. Yep. Okay, nice. Yeah, this one, I actually had some, I actually had trouble with this one. Um, I think the dedication thing is what won him over for me. I mean, obviously going to play safety, not really complaining about it, deciding to transfer out, coming back, winning the job, quite a roller coaster ride for my guy, um, stuck it out and, and uh, it worked out. Obviously, you know, went to a bowl game, went four and two, you know, it wasn't perfect by any stretch, but I don't think we expected him to be. And he was certainly better than I, I would have given him credit for to start the year. So proud of him. And bonus points for the way he reacted when Brendan Lewis got inserted into the Alamo Bowl. And, for sure. And bonus points for trying to hurdle everybody the first two weeks of the season. That was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> so, I don't know if he gets bonus points because he was hurt down the stretch, and that could be why. So, Well, that was, I think, when he, he led on a slide with his throwing shoulder. Remember when the UCLA defender kind of yes. hit his helmet there? I don't think – I mean, his lower body was doing fine, so he should have just kept up with the, the hurdling situation. Okay. Yeah, go over people. Yeah. All right. And the next award is the Bussy Award for inspiration in the face of physical adversity. I don't know how you could go away from Broussard here, right? Yep. That's who I have as well. Yeah. Who else would even be a candidate there? Uh, Jalen Jackson. Sure. But that would have been more last year when he finally got back in the mix. I mean, it's just overall for him. He's got multiple injuries. He's a captain, too. You know, like, so I mean, there's obviously a lot of respect from the players in regards to that. Yeah. So that's the other guy that stands out for sure. Hopefully, and I'm not predicting this, but Antonio Alfano would be a pretty 
good candidate for this in the future if he can uh, figure out his health situation. We saw him tweet out that he was getting some tests yesterday, so uh, hopefully there's good news there at some point. Uh, obviously, we've I, we've told fans all along not to hold their breath with, with Antonio Alfano, but uh, hopefully something gets f- found out there. The Tom McMahon Award for Dedication and Work Ethic. Who do you have here? I have Nate Landman. Um, but, there, you know, you could go a million ways here, and I'm not as in tuned into the locker room presence, uh, obviously, as you would be. But, you know, someone who I think is just very well respected amongst his peers and, uh, you know, his physical style of play lends me to believe that he's in the, he's in the weight room working hard. I went with Carson Wells here just because I've, again, even going to the academic side, you hear how much work that, that kid puts in. And uh, so, but Eddie Crowder award for outstanding team leadership, I went with Nate Lamon. Uh, not a whole lot of difference probably with these awards, but uh, did you, did you go different there? Yeah, I'd say Neuer. Um, Neuer, okay. Yeah. Who, again, I think people, the reason that he won the job and people felt comfortable with him in the job is because of his leadership. I mean, people definitely trusted him as a leader. So, to me, if you if I had to say who I thought the number one leader on the team was, I would have said Sam. Okay, offensive trench award. Will Sherman. Yeah, no, I, I did as well, but I, I think you could make a case for maybe a Frank Phillip as well. I think you can make a case for pretty much all alignment. Honestly, like not none of it would really surprise me. It just depends on how you view it. Like if you want the most physical. I mean, I don't know. As a coach, like, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Defensive trench award. I'm Mustafa Johnson. Same here. But again, I think I think all three candidates would. I mean, it'd be hard to argue. Best interview. I actually got to vote on this one. I went with Nate Lamon. Is there yeah. a guy that that you enjoy? You know, hearing when he talks to the media. We didn't really. Feel, I feel like we didn't hear that much this year. It was tough. It was all all done over um, Zoom. It was pretty lame. Yeah. I'll admit. <laughs> but CU did yeah. the best they could with. And Carl Drell wants to micromanage these interviews quite a bit, so we couldn't do the one on ones. Hopefully, that's not going to be a thing going forward because generally that's pretty good press for your program. But I know when uh, Brian and I get frustrated with some of the interview stuff that most fans don't really care. But he's not on the team anymore. But James Stefano is always interesting. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Buffalo Heart Award. I mean, this is an obvious answer here. Yes. If Nate Landman doesn't win, I will be very upset. Yeah. Extremely upset. So, Tyler, what, what are your expectations heading into 2021? We got to find out who the defense coordinator is going to be. But we we see that, you know, the bulk of the personnel is going to be back. You're talking about, you know, 10 starters probably on both sides of the ball being back, which is a higher number than we're used to. For sure. Um, It's hard to say only because I haven't been able to keep up with what's happening in all the other programs. Like I think so far from what I've seen, more people are coming back than I would have initially expected. So, you know, like if we're the only team that has everybody come back, the expectations are going to go up. If everyone brings everyone back, obviously it kind of levels the playing field a little bit. The schedule next year is tough. I think that's the biggest issue right now um there's a lot of road games that are going to be tough sledding so i think the goal is to find your way to six and six somehow right now that's pretty low i think the the expectations among the fan base is going to be quite a bit higher 
based on this past season. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, no, no difference there. My expectations are almost always lower than the fan base. <laughs> so six and six, you would be fine with that. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Based, based on where we're at right now, like if all things are equal and everyone brings back what you would expect. Yeah. I, th- I mean, there's, you look at the five road games and four of them are against teams that are probably better than us, even on a neutral field. So that limits your ability some for me. I mean, the schedule, it, it plays a bigger factor than almost anything for me in figuring out how a season's going to go. So, yeah, I think that's your baseline. And at the end of the day, if you go to back-to-back bowl games, you're starting something. There's a trend there. This is a big if, but what if Nate Landman is ready to go from the jump? Would your expectations change at all? it'll really honestly depend more on who comes back from everybody else. Like if it's clear that we got most of our starters back and a lot of other teams had attrition, then I'll start to bump my prediction up. That's going to be the biggest difference for me. We collaborated across the 24 seven sports network in the PAC 12 with a list of guys that are going pro guys that are in the transfer portal. And there will be more names from Colorado added to that. They're, they're going to need some attrition to get that class in there, but from there, everybody there, there's less attrition so far in terms of guys going pro and guys in the portal from Colorado, as you compare them to, to other programs in the PAC 12. Well, that's good. But I, I mean, I trust you, but I need to, do my own research and I haven't got that far yet. I got to see how it shakes out. I really like to start looking at it come like August start as fall camp because, you know, guys transferring guys transfer out, you know, one program might get a baller quarterback that we didn't even consider before. Like there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, no question. Let's jump into the buff stampede mailbag, that mailbag, S Barkham asked, there has been so much discussion about Ashad Clayton. What are his current strengths and weaknesses as running back right now? Mountain Buff 07 also asked, where do you think Ashad Clayton transfers to? And sarcasm. So, yeah, Ashad Clayton is the uh, most popular topic on our message board uh, going on more than a year now, Tyler. This is why people get on Twitter and say things. Because you guys still talk about it. Why can't we talk about the guys who play? Everybody's enamored with the blue chip recruits, and it's pretty pretty clear there. You're you're asking why? I like the guys who are. I like the guys who are good. Well, it's not two clear. There are two. There are two running backs ahead of him that are very clearly better than he is right now. I'll worry about those two. From what I understand, Ashad Clayton is coming back to see you, so uh, he is not entering the transfer portal. There's a lot of raw talent there. But I think, you know, we got asked here, what are his weaknesses as a running back? I think it's just any nuance that a freshman's going to struggle with, right? Pass protection, patience as a runner. Yeah. In high school, you, you don't have to have those qualities to be a superstar. Um, but, I mean, he does have a lot of potential, and I would like to see him get into the mix a little bit more in 2021. For sure. I, there's no doubt he has a ton of potential. I think his biggest weakness is not being patient with the process. I mean, you're not going to earn more playing time by complaining about your coaches on Twitter. I don't think that's ever happened. I don't think you've ever seen a guy blast a coach on Twitter and then all of a sudden he's getting more PT. So be patient with the process. If you want to get playing time, play better than the guys in front of you. It's not that crazy. You know, like they, some programs are different maybe, but you don't, you don't walk into a program as a higher rated recruit and all of a sudden you're the only guy in the room. 
They're going to play the best player. How old were you when Twitter came around? You were in, in your probably mid twenties. It was at like, that point? yeah, yeah. I was going to say like probably just post college, like twenty three or twenty four. How much cringe worthy stuff do you think you would have posted on Twitter had it been around when you were eighteen years old? Oh, a lot. But I'm also, you know, like I'm not on a on scholarship at a football school trying to play. Like I would say cringeworthy stuff. Would I call out my coach on Twitter for not playing me? No, I would not do that. Okay. I know better than that. All right. I just I'm glad that that was not around when I was that age. I guess is what I'll say. Yeah, listen. In terms of that. I say a lot of stuff on Twitter. Let's be honest. <laughs> but if I went on Twitter and talked about you or any of my other bosses, I don't think it would go very well for me. No, that that's a fair point. I just I wish we could stop overanalyzing every tweet that comes out from these guys. Yes, it, that would, it, yes. I, I'm kind of I'm more my, mad. I'm more uh, mad at having to talk about it than I am at him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, my patience has kind of run dry for, from all that, but yeah. uh, it's not going. It's not going to change. So I guess I just have to accept it. But all right, moving along. R Jack Three asked, if I recall, Mike McIntyre and Mel Tucker had differing views on the offseason in terms of strength and conditioning. I believe Tucker had players in the weight room more than McIntyre. Do you have any thoughts on what Darrell's philosophy will be when it comes to the offseason? So I think there's a misnomer here in that, okay, Mike McIntyre didn't want players in the weight room. It was just the timing of things. Mel Tucker wanted players in the weight room for the first nine weeks when they came back for the start of the spring semester, which obviously is in January. So it's kind of a, a winter conditioning program. Whereas Mike McIntyre wanted to do spring ball earlier in case they had any major injuries that would give those guys time to recover. That's something that he, uh, he took from David Cutcliffe that started doing early spring ball at Duke. Um, it didn't really seem to matter when Mike McIntyre was here. It's funny when they started doing spring ball earlier, there would a, a from that point forward, no major injuries during spring ball. So it didn't really factor in. Um, but let, let's not, you know, Mike McIntyre sometimes had recruiting issues, bringing in guys that weren't big enough to, to compete at this level, in my opinion. But it's not that he ever, you know, didn't want those guys in the weight room as much as Mel Tucker. Yeah, did. Uh, yeah I think that's, I mean, saying a football coach doesn't want his guys in the weight room. Like you can say what you want about McIntyre, but I think that's a little bit overboard. Um, also, they can't really force guys into the locker, into the weight room in the offseason. It's all voluntary. So, uh, obviously, there are expectations. It's not it's, it's not really voluntary, though. For right. I know. Not. But, I mean, like, you can't – I know that. But, you know, it's not like you can go out there and be like, you're in there from this time to this time every day. The, you set the expectation amongst the leadership on the team that that's where guys will be. The player run practices is more where that comes in. I think with the weight stuff, I mean, you're going to find yourself off the team pretty quick if you're not showing up for all that stuff. Uh, in terms of Darrell, Darrell, I mean, he he flat out laid it out to the team after the Alamo Bowl. I don't have a transcript of what he told the team, but the, the general tenor was, y'all are coming back here and you better be ready to work because, uh, you know, everybody maybe thought he was this even kill guy that didn't have the fire in him. And there were times this last season, Tyler, that, that Jarrell really showed it that uh, he's going to be very demanding with, with these guys. Yeah, which you should be. You know, I, I understand that for sure. Like you, you have to want continued improvement from your guys, but also you have to be realistic with what you have. 
I mean, you can't walk into this program and expect everyone to all of a sudden be as good as Texas. I mean, that's on you to recruit those players. So it's a two-way street. Our Jack three also asked, is Carl Durrell the most handsome coach CU has ever had? Brian Howell had mentioned in an analysis video that Durrell is very emotionally intelligent and references your name when answering a question. If you were having a bad day, what would you like Durrell to talk to you about while saying your name periodically? How long does it take into this conversation for tears to start forming in the corner of your eyes because of the unconditional compassion shown from one human being to another? I don't even know where to go with this, Tyler. That is a serious question. Um, what I will say first is that, no, Mel Tucker was more handsome, and it's largely because he knows how to dress. Mel Tucker had swag. Let's be real. You can hate on him all you want, but the suit game was strong. The man wore shorts coaching a football game. Yeah. Attractive stuff. I will say Carl Drill's more more handsome than Dan Hawkins. That That's pretty much a, a given, right? Yes, and Mike McIntyre. <laughs> yeah. So For sure. Yeah, I mean, he's handsome <laughs> for sure, but Mel Tucker had a different level of swag. Just being real. Um, in terms of the conversation that I want to have with him, uh, that, that was pretty emotional. I don't really get emotional when it comes to conversations. Uh, he seems like a trustworthy guy though. Like you could go to him for some real life advice and he would give it to you straight. So I respect that, but highly doubt he'll get me to tears. Yeah. I, uh, my, my interactions with Carl Drell have been over zoom and it's not the, uh, the most connecting forum, I guess <laughs> in that sense. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think, uh, I, I could see Carl Durrell getting very passionate about something and being very deliberate and it becoming very emotional. But uh, I, I do like the fact that he will reference your name. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, some of these, I don't think Carl Durrell enjoys dealing with the media, but I think when he, he does it, he comes across pretty well. well what are your thoughts from the zoom, you know, videos that you've seen of him? Just I think he's being, respectful, but again, you know, it you, it starts to wane as soon as you lose, which it, it, I say this with every coach. Like, everyone's like, oh, he's so amazing with the media. It's like, yeah, they're 4-0. Oh. Yeah. If he goes 2-10, and 10, I have a very strong feeling that he's not going to be as good with the media, <laughs> along did, with everyone else. Did it bother you that he would not allow the players to talk with the media after the Alamo Bowl? What was your thought? Oh, there? yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I think I texted you about it. Um, my initial response on Twitter was not – I'm not happy about it, to be frank. I'm not happy about it. I think it's Bush League. But it is what it is. I mean, ultimately, the choice is up to him. But, I mean, for it's just disrespectful, I think, to the media who have covered this team on Zoom through the entire season. They got asked to cover a bowl game, extend their season, and you didn't even give them the – respect to finish off the season telling stories that people deserve to know. Yeah. I, I get that a lot of fans could care less, you know, uh, and, and some, I've seen some of the points of, well, it's been a long season. Just let the players go home. And I get that. Tell it would have taken at most 10 minutes to send exactly. two players in there. And I'll be honest, we're not exactly the hardest media beat out there, right? We don't really hammer no. these guys. You you it's it's five, been five months. They can't take another thirty minutes. Like seriously, come on. It wouldn't even be thirty minutes. Yeah, it would have been. That's usually, the excuse that we're. Yeah. No, I'm not buying it. It still makes me mad. 
Last question from RJack3. He asked, what are your thoughts on JT Shrout? What odds would you give him that he wins the quarterback competition? I'll let you jump in here first, Tyler. What, what are your thoughts on uh, the Tennessee transfer quarterback? Uh, I said this on free balling last week. No one likes backup quarterbacks more than Colorado fans. Isn't that every fan base, though? Is that Maybe. unique to see you? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think it helps that your starter isn't great. Like, I doubt Clemson likes their backup quarterback as much as we have had the last 10 years, you know. Um, but listen, here's what I'll say. Um, he was a backup at a school that had one of the worst starting quarterbacks I've ever seen in my life. So I understand that the fan base there is saying that he should have played more and he deserved more time. That's great. But if you if you think I'm going to expect him to come in and be the greatest quarterback that CU has seen, that is not true. That's not how I feel about it. I think it's hilarious that people have thrown Sam Neuer out of the discussion and the job is now either JT Shrupp or Brendan Lewis's because of a total of two quarters of football. That's all you saw. I mean, listen, Neuer is entitled to this job just as much, if not more, as anyone. I'm not saying he'll win it. I'm not saying he should win it. But to say that he doesn't have a chance and that JT Shroud, who you've never seen throw a pass in a CU uniform, does makes no sense to me whatsoever. Your initial point there, Tyler, I think if you go 24 years without having a quarterback drafted, that probably lends itself to to the backup, you know, uh, drawing hype from the, from the fan base, probably more so than, than otherwise would be the case. Um, when I talked to our Tennessee publisher about JT Shroud, he talked about his arm and his arm strength being really good. The fact that he has, uh, you know, pretty good mobility. He's not going to be confused for, you know, he's not going to be as mobile as a Sam Neuer or a Brendan Lewis, but that he can move a little bit. And that the weakness is that makes bad decisions at times, tries to, to throw into double coverage. The more he kept talking about JT Shroud, Tyler, the more it sounded like he was talking about Steven Montez, which I don't know, could yeah. be either perceived as a good or a bad thing. By this fan base, they seem to be a lot higher about him than they were about Steven Montez by the time he left, I must admit. Um, yes, there's a lot of that. And I will also say Carl Durrell did not take kindly to mistakes on the field this year from the quarterback position. So my opinion is that if you're bringing in a guy who tends to do that more often than Sam Neuer did, it's probably not going to go great. Would you trade Tyler Lytle for JT Shroud? Yes. Okay, so you're you're fine with him coming in. You're just trying yeah. to temper expectations. He's there. he's depth, and if he ends up winning the job, awesome. That means he beat two guys that are capable of starting at this level. But to say that he's coming in as the favorite, I think, is not accurate at all. Movie Buff asked: Impossible to compare January 2022 recruiting versus January 2021 recruiting, given the coaching change. But does 2022 seem like it's off to a better start? No commits yet, but it seems like there's more interest from highly rated prospects than early last year. Uh, we do this every year. <laughs> we do this every year. It doesn't matter which four star has interest in Colorado in January. You've got to land the players. I can't tell you how many quarterbacks I've watched play at the college football level. That's like, oh, wow, I remember we were, we were in on that kid early, and I thought we had a shot. And then three months later, he committed somewhere else. It's happened 25 times. So is it great that we're going after big-name guys? Yes, sure, awesome. But you better land a couple, otherwise it's completely wasted energy. 
Yeah, it's better in the sense that you know that Carl Drell is going to be here. I, I, I know a year ago we would never have predicted Mel Tucker would have left, but at least you're not going to be behind the eight ball this recruiting cycle. But if you remember last spring and early summer, she was on you know the top list of quite a few highly regarded guys, and they didn't get a lot of them. So yeah, so if you're asking me, do I think this class is going to end up better than what Mel Tucker would have done? The answer is no, to be quite frank. You can say what you want about him as a person and what he did to the program. He was getting the job done on the recruiting chill in a way that a coach hasn't here in a long time. That's just facts. Now that could have gone down in a flame, right? To the way he was sure. recruiting, cutting corners, maybe a little bit here and there. Uh, how yeah. sustainable would that have been? It's hard to predict, but if you win, it would have been sustainable. And I think that's what he was banking on, right? Either, yeah. uh, you know, having the success here or getting that jump. And I, I, I think the thing is Mel Tucker didn't expect to get that Michigan state opportunity as early as he did. And that's why he yeah. acted the way he did. For sure. I mean, I, yeah, he, it wasn't like he expected that to happen. I still don't love the way it went down, but it's, I'm not going to pretend like he didn't do a job that I liked while he was here just because of the way things went after that. I'm not going to do that. Cause when he was here, I've never been more happy as a college football fan than the year he was our football coach, period. That's just a fact. Wyo Buff asked, would there be a chance Will Anglin comes back to see you? How about another transfer at safety? Uh, I think this is a response to the fact that Will Anglin put on on social media that his mother has uh, gotten uh, well. She was battling cancer, and so that's great news. I haven't heard any rumblings about him coming back, but as you look at this, this football team, you bring back a lot of guys, Tyler, but – Inside linebacker and safety, you've got to you got to find somebody in that transfer portal to, to come help out at both those positions. So I would agree with Wild Buff here. Yeah, hundred percent. You got to find somebody in the portal, and it looks like we have started to target some specific guys in that regard. Um, obviously, you hope Trust and Oliver can come in and be impactful right away as well. Wild Buff also asked, how much has CU scaled back in terms of recruiting budget and infrastructure? It seems like Tucker tried to elevate this and things got cut. Is this accurate? So, yeah, we saw that Tucker really wanted uh, a good situation for recruits coming in on their visits, right? But I... In the last year, there, there's no reason for that. You can't bring kids on campus. So I don't really think it's been an issue during this dead period because that money been would have been wasted. Yes. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I think those things are coming back whenever COVID disappears, though, um, to be frank. Yeah, the, we've gone more back to the approach previous to Mel Tucker. And as you alluded to before, there are certainly negatives to what he was doing. And there are certainly positives um, and we'll see how it shakes out. But Mel Tucker was willing to do the things that no one else here has. I'll say that. In terms of, yeah, going forward, uh, you probably want to find somewhere in between, you know, Carl Durrell that, that's going to, what's the right way to put this? Walk the, the straight and narrow all the time versus what Tucker was yeah, doing. I, mean, I don't think, yeah, I don't think you have to like go crazy with the rules, but there are a lot, I'll just say this, and I'm not going to point any fingers, but I think we all know where I'm going with this. I'm not happy with how the recruiting department is constructed right now. That it's like you, I'm not saying you need to cheat. That's not what I'm saying at all, but you have to be in a position where you're getting to these players in a way that's 2021. And I don't think we're doing that. 
I would say from the, the virtual visits, they were more organized. And I've had many recruits tell me this. C was more organized with their virtual visits in terms of how much information they conveyed to these recruits than what some other schools were doing, which, you know, you, you want to bring up the negative, you got to bring up the positive. And I think that part of it is good. You know, it's, it's not like, it's pretty well thought out with Carl Drell at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and listen, they, they have an opportunity this year. There was a lot of excuses, legitimate ones, in my opinion, they get a pass from me for last year. And frankly, the class isn't disastrous. That's really how I feel the last class. Um, But they have to improve this year. There's no excuse not to. I can see as a head coach coming back after being in the NFL for 12 of 13 years going well, fans are going to say what they're going to say. They're going to have these impressions. And if we win games at the end of the day, it's not going to matter how much flash we have with recruiting. And to some, there, is some truth, there is some truth to that, but you're missing out on the opportunity to really build a buzz around your program. You said this with Mel Tucker, you know, he was really good at doing that. And yes, eventually you have to win games to to back that up. But, you know, recruiting really builds a lot of, you know, positive energy within the boosters. And you can really generate a lot of money for your program when you have that flash with the recruiting side of things. I agree 100 percent. I mean, it's it's a relationship with the fan base. Um, it's the easiest way to connect to your fan base, in my opinion, is that type of stuff, recruiting your program. You obviously want fans engaged as well, recruiting those kids. And it builds on itself, right? I mean, recognition for your program comes in many ways. One of them is obviously winning. Um, but getting yourself out there and doing cool, innovative things to recruit kids there and using everything around you, the mountains, the town, all that kind of stuff, like being creative with that. If you're relevant in the college football landscape, it will work out for you, but you have to try. It's not always about spending a ton of money too. Like even what Mel Tucker did on the signing period with kind of like a draft board behind him and just how cool that looked. He comes out in his three piece suit and it just looks good for the program. And when you're, you're dealing with 18, 19 year olds, that stuff matters. Absolutely. All right. Next question is from Davis Buff. He asked any word about filling the director of recruiting position that Simone George had, or is that spot gone and Bob Lopez and Chandler Durrell just absorbed her responsibilities? What are the chances that we start building back up the recruiting support structure we had before coach Durrell got here? It would be money well spent. So we kind of touched on a little bit of this stuff Um, in terms of Simone George she didn't have a typical director of recruiting job in, in, in terms of her role. Uh, it's not like she was the one breaking down film and, and organizing that stuff. From what I could tell, she was very active in terms of getting recruits on the phone and kind of talking to them and transitioning over to the, the coach that would then you know, expound on that a little bit. Uh, but she had actually transitioned to, into a player engagement role before the coaching change. So she wasn't really going to be doing that going forward anyways. Do you have anything to add here? Uh, you know, obviously Bob Lopez, Chandler, Durrell, that whole recruiting staff has absorbed anything that Mel Tucker's recruiting staff uh, was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, the question is worded that it makes it seem like we did this prior to Durrell, which is true only with one coach, only true with Mel Tucker, who was there for one year. I think I alluded, alluded to it beforehand this is more of the approach that we saw from the previous regimes moving forward prior to that. So, you know, my opinion on this is clear. I think that's a mistake. 
if there's any way you're going to spend money, recruiting is the number one way to do it. Recruiting brings players, brings wins, brings money. You want to get your money back? Go get guys who can win football games. I think it's really that simple. And it doesn't seem like they're going to do that. So that's my con- that is my concern really with the Durell regime right now, um, quite frankly. And it will be until they prove me wrong. Jack CR 708 asked thoughts on Jack Lamb. Uh, for those that have not seen, Jack Lamb was at Notre Dame. He entered the transfer portal. A linebacker in CU has offered him. Uh, there was a story from Greg Biggins there. Uh, any thoughts here, Tyler? Great name. Jack Lambert was amazing. So that's initially what I thought of as soon as I heard the name. So that's a good start. Um, yeah, I don't know much about him as a player. Obviously, he was fairly highly recruited. Um Notre Dame has some monster linebackers, so it's not exactly shocking that he wasn't getting a bunch of PT there. It sounds like he was a contributor on special teams, which I value special teams more than the average person. So I love that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, they need to find pieces there, period. So if he's willing to come, great. Sounds like he's um, not in a hurry to make a decision, which is a bummer. Yeah, because he's going to stay at Notre Dame this spring, uh, academic-wise. Yeah, if he was on a team that didn't win 10 games and wasn't ranked fifth nationally and he was buried on the depth chart, maybe you'd have some concerns there. But the fact he did play on special teams there, I was watching his high school film. And if you're projecting him as as an inside backer, it's tough to evaluate him because he was kind of running downhill in high school. It seemed like he pinned his ears back and was just chasing the ball carrier. Uh, You didn't see a ton of him dissecting things. Like where CU needs help is inside backer more than outside backer. Um, I know Carson Wells is an upperclassman as well, but uh, you've got you've got some younger guys. I feel like at outside linebacker, like a Joshka Gustav, who surprised me this last year, Alvin Williams, and, and Devin Grant, that I think are going to be pretty good down the road. But uh, yeah, what, what were you going to say? I was just going to say simply, that I think they need help at both positions. Um, from a coverage perspective, that's what the biggest issue with our linebackers in general to me is that we have no coverage backers. Uh, and you have, especially in the PAC 12, where there's a lot of tight ends, a lot of crossing routes, we need to get better in that regard. That's where we get ate up more than anything, in my opinion. So while I agree, the inside backer is a much bigger concern, even some of the outside backers we have, uh, we could use some more coverage skills there. I mean, you miss like a Davion Taylor, you think about what he did for the program in a role similar to that. With the transfer portal, Tyler, you're going to generally have one of two situations, right? You're going to have a guy like Jack Lamb that's at a pretty good program that kind of got buried on the depth chart because they've got talent in front of him. Or you're going to have group of five type guys like a Mikhail Unu who would be, you know, you'd love to bring a guy in like that every year. They're, they're tough to find. But you're the do you, do you have a preference between those two? You know, a guy that maybe overachieved at the group of five level or a guy that's kind of buried at a power five. Is there a preference in your mind? Honestly, yeah, and it probably is surprising. I prefer the guys uh, proved it on the field. There's a lot of guys who are overranked that ended up at programs they shouldn't have. Um, that's really the main reason guys are buried on the depth chart more often than not. I mean, there's some cases where they're talented and they're just behind even more talented guys. That obviously does happen, but a lot of it is. And you could just look at Colorado as a perfect example. The higher ranked recruits that don't make it at Colorado, it's not like they transfer out and go ball out somewhere else. That typically does not happen. So for me, I want a guy who's an all-conference type of player at a smaller school that's proved on the field that he's capable of being productive. That's worked out great for us. I mean, just look at what Mikhail Uno – if we could get that every year, 
I would love it. Jason Harris is going to Arizona. I, I want him to prove me wrong because I, he seems like a nice young man. His family's awesome. And it makes sense. He got homesick. He didn't like the cold weather, but mm-hmm. he wasn't not, he was not going to get on the field at CU anytime soon. Nope. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Ellie buff asked about the strength and conditioning coach replacement and players not returning for the spring semester. Hopefully we'll have some news there pretty soon. Uh, like I'd mentioned, the players are expected back on campus Thursday. You've already got the early enrollees on campus. They're kind of self quarantining. They're going through meetings, virtual meetings with operations people and academic people and getting uh, acclimated uh, in terms of players for the spring semester, you could look at the the pipeline and, and pick out a few guys here and there that you wouldn't expect to be back. But um, so far, at least, Tyler, in, in knock on wood, if you're a CU fan, there hasn't been any bad attrition yet. Yeah, and I'm not really sure. This is obviously a weird year. What the timeline would be, um, you know, uh, things can happen quick, right? Like a guy leaves a school that it was unexpected, all of a sudden the spot pops open does that provide an opportunity for a kid who's on the fence maybe you know I think it's hard to say um I think the biggest thing right now is obviously we have a lot of coaching openings um and how we fill those and whether or not they mesh with the current players is going to be the real determining factor if we get a defensive coordinator that comes in and everybody on the team is like yeah this dude ain't it then you're going to see some guys leave I think I'm a little surprised there hasn't been a few more names that have come out up to this point. And I'm sure that will happen here in the next week. Yeah. I mean, mathematically it is inevitable. So. SD buff 24 ass transfers for 2021 basketball. Jariah Horn has been such a great addition in the 2021 squad could really use a player like him. This is going to be an interesting situation, Tyler. Obviously, we don't have names. you got to wait till the season's over in terms of guys that are going to be in the transfer mm-hmm. market. Um, you're going to have a, an open scholarship for a transfer. They've been saving that uh, because the one-time transfer rule is expected to go through. So it's going to be kind of chaotic in terms of the transfer market with basketball. Um, eligibility doesn't count. So you, you're expe- you're already expecting Dallas Walton back. You've got Maddox Daniels, Deshaun Schwartz, Jariah Horn that could come back. I don't think all three of those guys will be back. Uh, but there is a thing is, is too much depth in your program. So it's going to be interesting to see how Tad will kind of navigates the situation once the season's over. Yeah. I mean, it's thank God that we finally got a grad transfer. Been yelling about it for years. Um, Jariah Horn has hopefully made Tad see the light because this is something we should be doing all the time. Uh, many other programs in the Pac-12 have a ton of success with this every year. It can really change the trajectory of your program. I mean, think about it this way. If we didn't have dry horn and we took a freshman, how different would this year look for us? Yeah. Like dramatically. He's been huge. Um, and we're going to need that again. Obviously, you know, McKinley Wright theoretically could come back. I would be He's even not- more shocked about that than I was shocked about Nate. Right. I mean, like that would be mind blowing if he did. Um, and in that case, based on the way that we uh, the other guards have played, I mean, Keyshawn Bartholomew has been a disappointment so far. So they need a guard. And uh, we'll see if they go out and get one. Yeah. Max Daniels, you, you probably don't want to bring back. But would you bring back Deshaun Schwartz in, in Horn if, they, if they're willing to? Yes. Both those guys? I, everything you said is correct. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is this is Josh Fortune to blame for Tad Boyle not going with a grad transfer earlier? I mean, he was—he wasn't a grad transfer. Okay, yeah, he came in and redshirted, didn't he? he and okay. he played two years. Yeah, he was pretty brutal, though. I mean, was he more brutal than most of the European guys we brought in? No. <laughs> I felt like every time he got the ball, I was waiting for the turnover to happen. Yeah, for sure. Did. I mean, he he definitely was not what it was expected. Um, but again, like recruit the right guy, you know, like you can blame anyone else you want to, but you're the one that brought him in. It's not like he played differently when he was there. Like you knew what you were getting um, and he didn't develop. But again, like it's, it's really so simple. Like there's a reason everyone who followed the program was stoked about Jariah Horn as soon as he committed, because he is a absolutely flawless fit for what we needed and the style of play that we have. And look at how it's worked out. I mean, he has been phenomenal for us. It's not – you can get that type of guy, especially at a school like Colorado. You can't because it's – dry horn. it wasn't like he picked us over Kansas. Those guys are out there. You need to fit guys that fit your program. You can do that. When Jariah Horn announced his decision to come to CU, I had talked to a Tulsa beat writer, and she was talking about the fact that Horn really didn't connect with the, the other players that there at Tulsa, and he – that was maybe the one concern she had with him coming to CU. And he's been a, an excellent teammate. That has not been an issue whatsoever. In fact, no. it's been kind of the, kind of the opposite. He's really meshed well with this team. Yeah. I mean, he has to come back. They have to find a way. I don't see why he wouldn't honestly, cause he's not going to go. He's, he's not, not, not an NBA guy. Um, he is a big part of what we do and they need to do everything in their power to make sure he's back next year. You guys are obviously doing a lot of free ball and basketball shows. Uh, you've done pretty mm-hmm. much a, a pre preview and recap for every game, right? Yep. Yeah. So right now how it's mostly working out is we're trying to do previews for the week that, you know, there's usually two games a week. Obviously the schedule has been moved around a little bit. So we had a bonus Utah preview this week too, because there's three games. Um, but yeah, we're trying to do a preview for the two games. Like you typically, you see a Wednesday and a Thursday or a Saturday and a Sunday, like, that's how the schedule typically works out. And then we're trying to do recaps, quick recaps after every game. doesn't always work out that way, but that's the goal right now. And then we'll do like a uh, bi-weekly catch-all pod where we talk about football stuff or anything else that comes up right now. That's where we're at in season right now. Nice. I did learn that I can't have uh, any kids in the car when I listen to the free ball and pod, but well, I should I should have learned I should... <laughs> Come on. I should have known that going in, but yeah. uh, that that was a dad yes, filter for a minute. <laughs> yeah, which which one did you unfortunately put on with the kids in the car? It was uh, the Alamo. Well, I, I I paused it pretty quick. Uh, okay, good. Yeah, I was going to say like, there's my... a couple off to- a couple off topics that perhaps should not have uh, made the ears of the children. <laughs> I think it was the Alamo Bowl preview, if I'm remembering <laughs> okay. right. All right, so it couldn't have been that bad <laughs> comparatively to some. CU beats Utah in Salt Lake City by seven points. Uh, was that one of the better second halves CU's had in recent history? I mean, limiting them to nine of twenty-seven shooting, getting to the free throw line. Uh, it was. It was a. If you could just encapsulate that 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 half, you'd like to see more out of that with this team on the road because we haven't seen that out of CU. Yeah. Often. Yeah, I mean, and Utah certainly helped us out. I'm not going to sit here and lie. Like they they uh, aided in our comeback for sure, but. it's not necessarily so much about how well we play. It's just, you don't have to play well all the time, but they found a way to win. That's the difference. Like they haven't won there since 2012. They've gotten embarrassed there several times. 
Um, Utah is a tough place to play at home, and obviously this is the year you want to play there because there's no fans. So you you have that aspect. It's just a, one of those games that it just feels like you get the monkey off your back, right? Where, okay, this has held us back from a top four finish in multiple years. We can't find a way to do it. The Arizona game this year is the exact same thing. Like you, you watch the game and it's like, wow, I've watched this game in Arizona 10 years in a row. The same results. So to me, just the, the, the psychological advantage of getting that off your back. And now people are, you know, casual fan is going to look at the standings and say, oh, we're three and two average. Great. They've played four road games against good Pac-12 teams and Oregon, who's probably the league favorite right now at home. To get through that stretch at three and two is phenomenal. And they have an opportunity now to go on a run. If they can take care of business, they could easily win 12 or 13 league games. And uh, if they do that, they will be a lock for the tournament for sure. Upcoming home games against Cal and Stanford Thursday and Saturday. Tyler, what the hell has happened to Cal's basketball program? Yeah. I mean, they are – listen, they always give us trouble, so I don't want to say anything because we have to go out and win the games, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, Matt Bradley's hurt right now. He's obviously the the number the leading scorer in the Pac-12. He's really their only guy. I mean, you just look up and down their roster besides that, though, and Will actually said it on the podcast, Freeballing podcast the other day. There's a They have a bunch of guys who should be playing at Portland State. And – it's true. Like he, you, it's not even disrespectful. Like that's a fact The the talent on that roster is atrocious for the PAC 12 level. Um, I know Mark Fox, you know, he has a lot of work to do and take changing things around and he'll get a little bit of time to do that. But yeah, I mean, that's a tough, tough situation they have right there. I mean, you could say we're obviously talking about Cal cause they're playing this week. I would say Washington is even in a worse place given what you would expect. Yeah. And with Stanford, I've maybe watched 1% of the basketball that you and Will have this year, but I've had a chance to catch them a little bit. That seems like a pretty underrated team. At least they, they kind of yeah. pass the eyeball test a few times I've they're, tuned into their games. They're extremely underrated. I'm, a, I'm scared of that game, for sure. They give us a lot of trouble. Um, they're very long, very athletic. The same issues that we have with UCLA, Arizona. Um, on the wings, they're going to give our guys a lot of problems, a lot of problems. Uh, they're, they're one of the best defensive teams in the country. I think they're right now eighth or ninth in Ken Palm and defensive efficiency. So even better than we are in that regard. Um, yeah, that's a tough matchup. Uh, you know, if Oscar De Silva doesn't get hurt in the home game last year, that's one we probably don't win. So we better be ready to go. And I think if you want to finish top four in the league, you can f- maybe drop that game. But if you want to win the league, you got to win this game. Because we're already one game behind UCLA in the standing, or two games behind them, but we also have a loss against them. Stanford is one of the other four teams that are really vying for that title as of right now. Um, and if you lose a home game to them, things get tough there. There's still a lot of winnable games left. It's not the end of the world if they don't, but obviously you want to take care of home court. Uh, they have Their two starting guards are injured right now. Bryce Wills and Dejon Davis are both out. They're expected to be back for this game. We'll see how that plays out. But if they f- another one were kind of like a 50-50 game where we'll be favored slightly, um, and if we find a way to get it done and obviously take care of Cal, we'd be sitting 5-2 and two, um, with a winnable road trip against the Washington schools coming up. So an opportunity to make a run. McKinley Wright tied Jay Humphrey's all-time assist record at CU in that Utah game. So uh, the first assist he has in that Cal game is going to put him all by himself is he 
venturing into the Mount Rushmore of CU basketball? Where, where does he factor yeah. in there? We actually literally talked about that in the last rebound pod. Yeah, he's he's in the top five for me, um, in t- because I you know it depends on how you want to look at it. Like I want to, I always view it as is the other team scared of that guy? Simply put, like I is that who they're focused on on the scouting report every single time? And McKinley Wright, you take him off the roster, this team is done. So for me, it's that simple. Um, and I think that would be the case for a lot of other teams. Yeah, so I had him on there. In terms of like NBA potential, he definitely is not in the top five. It's, it just all depends on how you view it. But in terms of what he's meant to the program and his dedication to the game on both ends, like, you know, he has flaws like everybody else does, but he's one of my favorite players to watch ever. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this show. Tyler, I appreciate you for taking the time out. Obviously, everybody needs to tune into the free ball and pod. We've promoted promoted that a few times on this show. And uh, whenever they name a new strength coach and uh, we find out who the defensive coordinator is going to be in 2021, we should do another podcast here and kind of react to that. But uh, Tyler, again, uh, enjoy tuning in to to you on the free ball as well. And appreciate you for taking time out to, to join me on this podcast. Yeah, appreciate the shout out. I always love being on. So thanks for keeping me involved. Of course. All right. And thanks to all of you for tuning in.